Camping. You guys ready to go camping again? Some, there's some head shaking going on. There's some nodding going on. You guys are ready to go camping. And uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, when we started this, um, we, we talked about some camping humor. And um, this week, I just got a camping meme to put up. If uh, Hattie can put that up there for us. I don't always move to the other side of the campfire, but when I do, the smoke follows me. Isn't that true? Okay, so, um, you know, I just want to review just a little bit and say a big part of camping, for me at least, and I think for all of us, is discovery. And what do I mean by that? Discovering the perfect camping spot. How many of you have found that? Won't tell anybody else about it. Unless they're going on a weekend when you're not going, right? Discovering the amenities or lack thereof. Connie always liked the, the camp spot that was relatively close to the outhouse, all right? She was a big fan of that, but not too close. We didn't want to be like next door, but usually across the way or down a couple spots was, was acceptable. But then the other thing is discovering the beauty of the area. I remember here recently talking to somebody about uh, one of uh, our new camp, favorite camping spots is over by Hyattville. Is, is, shh, don't tell anybody about it. What's that? That's, that's yours? Yeah, there's, it's a secret. The, the funny thing is, you guys, there, it's, there's a lot of locals that don't know about that spot. So uh, maybe we should keep it quiet. But um, when, you, when you go there, you know, to any camp spot, discovering the beauty of the area is a part of it. And you're really happy when you find a place where the kids can hang out in the stream and, and you're not worried about them being swept downstream. You know, that's all, and that's why that campground by Hyattville is nice because the water's just like pleasantly going through there. The kids will last for hours and you can stand, well, at least for me, my favorite is to sit by the campfire and watch the fire burn. I don't know why that's so soothing. I guess it's my TV when we're camping. But, and of course, discovering, yeah, I am a pyro. That's true. I'm, I'm a recovering pyro. I haven't used fireworks in quite a while. It's just too much money. And of course, discovering, uh, by the way, that uh, the smoke from the campfire does seem to follow us. But uh, so we were talking about God's big camping trip. And his big camping trip is the Exodus journey and uh, the tabernacle of God. In leading the Israelites out of bondage uh, in Egypt, God took them on an extended camping expedition. Now, you probably never thought of it that way, but let's face it, that's what they were on. And uh, as we talk about the tabernacle, that's a central piece of God's big camping trip. It's God camping out with his people. It's not a permanent fixture. It's designed to be set up like a tent, because it is a tent, and it's designed to be moved and, and to go, over, go wherever the Israelites are at. And so as we talked about that, um, about how the people learned about God because they were literally hanging out with God all the time. 
God was there in their presence. They were learning primarily because Moses was talking to them. This is what God said. This is what God is wanting us to do. And, um, and while God is revealed in the beginning as walking with Adam and Eve before the fall of man, after the fall, he's later revealed occasionally with men in the Old Testament like Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and others. But in Exodus, he begins a revelation of himself to his people that is a pattern of something rooted in eternity. And we know from different scriptures that I'll, I'll refer to here in a little bit that the tabernacle ends up being a pattern or a shadow of things that are literally real in heaven. You guys remember that? And those of you that weren't here two weeks ago, I'm trying to catch you all up. So we're kind of on the same page. But this revelation comes and it's, it's rooted in eternity, but it's got this temporal nature to it because the tabernacle is, like I said, mobile. And that camping trip that they took for 40 years is still impacting the nation of Israel today. In fact, we will be celebrating um, something related to that on April 15th. Jews for Jesus will be here again doing the um, Christ in the Passover event. And that's been up on the overhead for announcements and it will continue to be so just as we build towards that event. But Christ in the Passover, that began as God takes them out of Egypt, takes them out of bondage to slavery, which, by the way, how long were they slaves? 400 years, do you think they were good at being slaves? They were experts at being slaves. They, they had a mindset of slavery. And so when we talk about that camping trip is still impacting the nation of Israel today. It's still impacting us as well. Because as we approach Easter, we understand that Easter is significant in that Jesus was the Passover lamb. He was the eternal connection to heaven where Jesus came and was able to stop the sacrifice of goats and bulls and sheep and everything. And he was the final sacrifice for us, right? So, like I said, the pattern in Exodus reflects the real. Exodus 25, 8 and 9 says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I uh, show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings. Just so you shall make it. The pattern is significant. <clears throat> God is not only revealing something of the present with them, and, and what I mean by that is his presence with them in the present, but something of the future, something of God revealing himself coming up, that there's a plan that he's going, that he's revealing there, and there's hints of it all over the place. And that's why we're talking about this, that the tabernacle is more than just a camping trip. The, the tabernacle is is revealing this shadow of things to come. And in Hebrews chapter 8, 1 through 6, we see this. It says, now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. So you guys hear that there's this tabernacle that we're, we're talking about in the Old Testament 
But in Hebrews, in the New Testament, it's talking about this tabernacle that we think of back in Moses' day is merely a pattern of what has already been erected in the heaven, that God put it together, not man. Are we all there? <coughs> For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he, this is talking about Jesus, is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. But if we can look at the copy, there are things that we can learn to apply to our own lives uh, that will strengthen our faith. It's going to deepen our understanding of who God is. Uh, it's going to increase our perspective of his salvation. So God is with us. God is with the Israelites, but he's also with us for a purpose, to discover the depths of who he is and what he has provided. So <clears throat> one of the points that I like about this is that in understanding God's purpose, it's not just a coincidence. God imparted a plan to reveal something of himself. The opportunity to discover more about God from the shadows and examples. So as we go in to the tabernacle now, part two, um, we're going to be focusing on the table of showbread. And we'll talk about what that means. But <clears throat> let's start with um, this first picture. I got a better picture for you today. Let's see if we have the one right there. This is a, a mock-up um, of what the tabernacle looked like. So we've got the fence. Can you guys see there's an entrance there? And there's a guy standing there with, with a bowl. Okay, so and they're by the brazen altar, and we'll take a look at that. We'll look at the brazen laver here in a moment. It's the court of the tabernacle. Uh, it's the outer court is, is what we're looking at there. And then there's the tabernacle, and we're going to go inside the tabernacle, and, and we're going to focus on... Uh, the, bre the, the table of showbread, the golden table of showbread. Um, by the way, I, I don't think you guys can see it real well, and I didn't bring the uh, laser pointer up here, but up on top there's an American football field, and down below there's that rectangle, and that shows the size of that fenced-in area, and then inside of that there's another rectangle that shows the tabernacle. Can you guys kind of see that? <clears throat> So we're not talking about an ostentatious kind of thing, although it looked beautiful. The, the fence was linen. Do you think that would stick out in the desert maybe just a little bit? Probably be something you could see. So like I said, it's a mobile meeting place. God is camping out with his people. God cannot be contained, but, is he, he, but he is defining himself for his people. <clears throat> so as we look at the brazen altar picture, as you come into that first gate, this, this is just a depiction of what they think that the brazen altar would have looked like. It's made brazen because it's made of bronze. 
and it's built over uh, acacia, acacia wood. Um, so as we look at these things, as we uh, understand that that altar was for the sacrifice of that bull, or it was for the sacrifice of a sheep, and that's where the sacrifice was burned. And, and I explained that it, it's, it's difficult for us to understand this, this picture because we think, man, how awful. But the ugliness of sin is that in that time, you would put your hand not lightly on the head, but pretty firmly on the head of that which was going to be sacrificed. And as its throat was cut, you would feel the life drain out of that animal. Now, I don't know how many of you like animals. I, I like animals. And so if I'm going to relate to this, I, I, have to, I don't have any sheep, and I really don't want any. So please don't get me any, all right? But, but I can relate to my dog, and, and I like my dog. And I think of my dog having to pay, to pay the price for my sin. And this, you would think... You know, we in all of our wisdom and knowledge and understanding that after you've sacrificed one sheep, you might stop sinning. No, that'd be way too easy, wouldn't it? So how many thousands of animals, tens of thousands of animals were sacrificed for the sins of the people of Israel? Every day. Then there were the yearly sacrifices as well. Then there were the sacrifices when a king just decided, hey, let's get back to worshiping God. Well, let's do it in a big way. Let's, let's, like, let's get 70 bulls. Can you guys imagine? I'm just thankful that I'm not a priest back in those days. The outer court was bloody. The smell was, was good and bad all at the same time, Leona. Because there's the, you know, there's the burning of, of things, but there's also that, oh, man, that smells like a good steak. I mean, have you guys ever stood over your barbecue thinking as you're barbecuing that steak? Yeah, this smells pretty good. You know, and you're thinking, okay, the priest, the priest got to partake of some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not anything like wow, this is great. It's this is ugly and it's meant to expose the ugliness of sin of us missing the righteousness of God. And what this outer court demonstrates if you go to the, the laver picture, is it, it demonstrates that atonement is the way. That there's a covering at this point in time for sin. And so there's the, the altar of bronze, and then there's the uh, bronze laver, which is for washing. And this is where the priest would wash their hands. They do their ceremonial uh, cleansing. They would... Uh, Many believe that there was a, a base that contained water so they could also wash off their feet. But all of this was 
atonement to go into the holy place. And that's where I want to begin exploring today. And so uh, look at this fourth illustration. Actually, no, let's look at this one. <laughs> I forgot about this. So this is what we looked at last year, or last two weeks ago, last year. <laughs> wow. Wake up, Kenny. So, you know, they come into the gate, brazen altar, laver, and then the, the idea is we're going, the priest is going in the door to the holy place. The holy of holies they'd only go into once a year. So here they're going into the holy place. And what's in the holy place? What's significant about this? And, and that's what we're going to look at. Go to the next slide. And um, so as we, as we look at this, we're looking at atonement and entrance. By atonement, we have an entrance made or an entrance supplied for us. So now you can go to the golden table of showbread. And again, this is a depiction of what they believe uh, the table looked like. Is it on there? Uh-oh. Tec technical difficulties. So you guys will have to wait till next week for that, all right? So the golden table of showbread, uh, and showbread simply means this, the table of presence. It's the table before the face of God. And, and I got some bread up here today. Now, I was telling Jackie earlier that in my study, now, now they're, these aren't exactly equal, but we're going to make some points about it. There's six here and six there. And it would have been unleavened bread. And if, if what they say is correct about a tenth of an ephah, or actually two tenths of an ephah of flour, how many of you know what an ephah is? We don't use that measuring unit anymore. But if they are correct in their um, figuring, then it would be around 19 pounds of flour for each loaf. Well, it is representing, it is representing a whole tribe before the presence of God. The golden table wasn't something small like this. It was, it was bigger. And, and they would have been stacked on top of each other. And I, I actually did quite a bit of reading. It's very interesting that later on in the permanent temple that they, there was a group of priests who did the baking and they came up with some pretty unique ways. They, they still don't believe that, um, like in the time of Solomon's temple, that they don't believe that the cakes were just nice little round cakes. They believe they had a shape of uh, one of the Hebrew letters of the alphabet. Possibly something re resembling this. But can you imagine, uh, in this time, there, these would have been quite a pizza. You know, a, a 19 pounds of flour. And that was not just plain flour, it had to be fine flour. And so those were, were big, and so... They don't have stuff like that at Albertsons, so I just got nan bread to, to make my point, okay? So let's look at this, uh, Exodus 25, 23 through 30. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length. <clears throat> Cubit is approximately, I probably have a long reach from the tip of my fingers to my elbow, but it's about 18 to 20 inches is what a cubit is. So 
Uh, you guys can do the math. Two cubits, so probably around 36, three, three feet this way, right? <clears throat> a cubit it's width, so about 18 to 20 inches wide, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around it. You shall make for it a frame of handbreadth all around. So about the width of your hand would be the breadth of the little frame going around it to keep everything on top of the table. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are on its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. What's that for? So when they move, the poles are slid in to those rings and the priest easily carry the golden table of showbread to the next location. You shall make its dishes. <clears throat> Did I do? Yeah. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. <clears throat> now, some points. Is I, I know sometimes when you guys read the Old Testament, you read through it and you go, man, there's a lot of detail. Man, what, what is the point? And, and I'm reminded that, that in the New Testament, it says that all Scripture is good. It's, it's good for edification. It's good for showing us how to do it, how not to do it, how to do it better. So when I want you guys to catch some of this. The, the acacia wood is very hard. It's very heavy. It's indestructible by insects and has a fine, beautiful grain. It's brownish orange in color. And it was remarkably luxuriant in dry places, sometimes attaining a height of 20 feet. Now, 20 feet compared to what we have for trees around here doesn't seem like much, but in the desert, you are, that's why it's saying that it's luxuriant in dry places because it provides shade, it provides a place of respite from the sun. It had a lovely yellow flower and its insect-resisting acacia wood was used in making mummy cases. I just thought you guys would like to know that, all right? So this acacia wood undoubtedly speaks of the incorruptible humanity of Christ. For we are told that his humanity would never see corruption. That's according to Psalm 16.10. Gold, pure gold throughout scripture speaks of divinity. Speaks of, of God. That which cannot be reproduced. It typifies the divine glory of the Lord Jesus as the Son of God and, the God, and God the Son. According to Exodus 38 they gave 2,800 pounds of gold. That was for all of the different things that they were building in the temple. 2,800 pounds of gold. You guys can do the math. We're talking a lot of money, right, in today's dollars. So as we look at that, this is just the table. Then there's the bread, and the bread is what it's all about, the bread before God's face. Twelve loaves or cakes of bread. And in Leviticus 24, 5 through 9, this is actually what's, you know, doing my life journaling one morning, this verse that I'm going to read to you guys. No, actually, this isn't the one. It's next week that, I, that I'll hit. But still, it's, it's one of those detail places that you almost want to skim over. Does anybody else do that? You kind of skim over some of those detail things. And this one morning, I'm reading the detail of something that God commanded them to do. And all of a sudden, it was like, boom, wow, that's, that's amazing. 
And this is one of those detail moments here. And you shall take fine flour and bake 12 cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. And, and like I said, you guys, I did the research to find out how much does an e- two-tenths of an ephah weigh in today's units of measure that we use. And it was, it was coming up 19 pounds. And some of you, you can go and find out if I'm right. You can look it up and you can come back and tell me, Kenny, you're just completely, you don't know math. Okay? But still, the point is, is that God gave them specific directions. He said, you shall set them in two rows, six in a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put frankincense, this is important, you guys, you should put pure frankincense on each row that it may be on the bread for a memorial, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath, so what, what day is the Sabbath? Saturday. Saturday. I'm not going to go into why we worship on Sunday right now, okay? Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons... And they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. Fine flour means it's from the earth. Baked represents agony and suffering. Unleavened means there's nothing artificial in that. Two-tenths means two deals of ten. Each loaf, the same, no partiality. About 19... or. Maybe that's what I meant. No, that's not right. Never, never mind. Big bread is what we're at that I want to make the point of. Big loaves of bread. So these nice little cute pieces don't represent what they probably looked like. But they were unleavened. And those are kind of unleavened, but not completely because I read the ingredients. Okay? Sprinkled with pure frankincense. Now, this is the thing that, you know, when you... I put this up here because Cindy brought this back from Israel, and it says frankincense, oil of frankincense. So, you know, it smells good. But did you guys, I don't know how many of you actually follow this sort of thing, but did you know that frankincense has some health properties to it that are quite amazing? If you do a little research, it's amazing what we know about frankincense today. And I was thinking, you know, the the priests weren't eating the frankincense, but that frankincense... Uh, sat on the loaves of bread all week long. And I'm just thinking, were they getting some benefit from that frankincense that was some of it was absorbed into the loaf of bread? And Elaine, I don't know if you're making an ooh face or, you know, and, and the thing is, is what if you're partaking of something that's literally causing you to have your immune system boosted and to eliminate disease in your body? You know, and I, I just think about that, and I think God has a plan for us, and a lot of times we want all the details, and the priests were just doing it because God said it. They didn't understand that he was doing stuff that was beyond their capability to even understand at that time. So as they are um, looking at this, the sanctuary, um, and that's what the holy place is. It's a sanctuary in Hebrews 9.2 says, For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, and that's what we're talking about, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. 
But there was no sitting down in this place. And when the priest would change out the bread with fresh loaves, they would gather and eat together, holding hands. And so, you know, I know we've got some kids in here, and uh, I need some help from some of the kids. So, well, come on up, because there's plenty for all of you. The only difficulty about this is, I don't know if you all can eat all of this. But, but listen, tradition says, now this isn't something in scripture, but it's something in tradition that says that when they would come together to switch out the old bread with the new, that they would gather around the table and they would hold hands and there would be this awareness of what the bread is about. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what the bread is about, but I want to ask you guys right now, what does the bread represent to you? What, when you think of bread, what do you think of? Food. food? That's good, because bread is good food. And I've had a lot of people comment on nan bread and say how good it is. What Health, yeah. Protein. Is bread protein? Uh -uh. But that's okay, Luke, because I think it's a carbohydrate, and that's important too. All right. I don't know about you guys, but I think of peanut butter and jelly. Turkey sandwich. Now, but, but what would happen is, you guys, what would happen is, is the priest, and did you guys realize that through Christ, it says that we are a royal priesthood. So if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that it means that you are now a priest, which is kind of crazy because Emma just turned nine years old yesterday. So that means, because I know Emma gave her life to Jesus, she has faith in him as, his, as her Savior, right? And that means that you're a priest in the kingdom of God, a priestess. Yeah, if you want to get really technical. And, and that means that in God's tabernacle... That means that we all take some of this and we begin to eat it. You guys want to help me? You guys want any? Come on, Jackie. I know you want some because you were, you were talking about it earlier. I want some bread. Now, you guys, I don't know how holy that is. Do not try this at home. So, are you guys getting the point that the old is consumed by the priest? I can't, I can't eat and talk. It is pretty good, but imagine what it would be like with some peanut butter and jelly on it. Rolled up. Yeah, with frankincense on top of it. Okay, guys, take that back with you and share it, eat it. Okay, so let's get back to this while you guys are passing the bread around. Partake of some of it because we are priests. We are, hey, there's one left up here. Don't you go throwing. 
Ethan wants more. Rick, do you want any? You had some? All right. So eat it all, okay? So I want you guys to understand there's some, there's some things going on is that God dictated to them. There's no sitting down. For the priest, when the priests come in here, this table didn't have, you know, chairs around it and sit down and eat that. They ate while they were standing. Now, if you guys remember back at the Passover, what were they doing when they ate the Passover meal before they left Egypt? They were ready to flee, so it wasn't a matter of you are going to sit down and partake of this. It was a matter of eating it because here in a little bit, you guys are going to be running. Not running. You're going to be walking out of Egypt free, and, and so... <clears throat> there's that sense of it. When the priest would change out the bread with fresh loaves, they would gather and eat together holding hands. There's this symbol of fellowship, this symbol. Get this, you guys. What's this table usually have on it one Sunday a month? Communion. communion. There's this presence of communion in the Old Testament, this picture of something going on with it, which, by the way, Jesus says, I'm going to eat of this with you. In the kingdom, that's right. But there's no sitting down, and, and that's important because for although the bread was on the table, no priest could ever be seated at that table or anywhere else in the tabernacle. Priests always stood while they carried out their duties. There was no place to be seated. No provision for rest in this pattern of worship and no suggestion that their task was ever completed. If we were going to be the same way, we would eliminate the chairs, which would... You know, how many people would still come to church if we eliminated the chairs? A few people. Yeah, you guys would sit on the floor. But the problem is, is in that portion, in that place of worship, there was no sitting. You stood all the time, and I'm going to get to the point of why we can sit here in a minute. Because you guys are going to love this. In contrast to this priesthood, in Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, it says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So not only is he seated, but he's waiting for that, that divine. I don't know what you guys call it. You could call it footstool. We, in, when we were growing up, we called it the hassock. You know, the, the idea was is things are going to get better because I can put my feet up. Like a, like a footstool, like a recliner, right? So, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made a foot, his footstool. For by one offering he is perfected forever. Listen to this, you guys, because this goes back to what Jackie was talking about. That performance thing that we always kind of gravitate back towards. And I'm not good enough for God and this... It goes back to this part. He says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. It doesn't mean that there is an improvement necessary in our lives, but the perfected part, he's already accomplished. Now that sanctified part, he's setting us apart. He's helping us to live the life that he purposed us to live. 
So this type of Christ is being revealed in this table of showbread. It's referred to as the table of the presence. God's light forever shines on his people. The 12 baked cakes of bread spoke of God's people who were one with him as the priests joined together in fellowship around that table. So like I said already, this is a type of communion that we're seeing before Jesus has even been crucified. Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life and said, if we eat this bread, we will live forever. Not this bread. Jesus, the bread, right? What's the, the very nature of bread is to provide physical sustenance. And as you eat the bread and digest it, it becomes a part of you. It's building blocks for your body, right? In some cases, you know, partaking of, if you're dehydrated, your ability to think becomes trouble, right? But the same is true. If you fast too long, you have a hard time thinking. Anybody fasted for more than a couple days? And if you go like a month, you realize, wow, I'm dumb as a stick, right? Okay, and it's because we need that. And so as we think about Jesus referring to himself as the bread of life, we need Jesus. Not a one-time, okay, I had my bread today, but it's a regular process of partaking of Christ, the bread of heaven. It becomes a part of you. And the very nature of the word of God is to provide spiritual sustenance and as it is received, it becomes a part of our very nature. Just as the table always speaks of fellowship and communion, so the table of showbread points to Jesus who has made a covenant built on better promises and provided a blood covenant meal for us to partake that we might all be one in spirit. John 6.35 says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. John 6, 51 through 58 says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Now, John 6, 60, chapter 6, verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. This is important because when Jesus is, or is talking, he's also talking about you need to, he, he, he later says, you know, you need to eat of my flesh. And everybody's freaking out because they think Jesus is talking about cannibalism, and that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, this is spiritual stuff that I'm re relating to you. You need to partake of it the same way that you partake of literal food. You need to partake of spiritual food. You need to partake of Christ. Align your life with what Jesus says, not with what you feel. So the conclusion this morning, and, and it's I'm going to let you guys know, it's a little bit of a long conclusion, so hang with me. I'm not, I'm not playing games with you, all right? God's big camping trip is not just for the pastors or priests. 
God's revealing himself to people all over the place. The question is, do they put faith with that? Do they come into his presence? And the priests were special. They were picked by God to come into his presence and to represent all of Israel. And as we come into the presence of God, we are priests because of what Jesus did for us. We're a royal priesthood. But as we come into that, that place, the point that I think is so important for us to get is we must all partake. That's why I was willing to fling that one piece of bread clear back there to Ken. He almost caught it. He was so close. <laughs> Brother, you're covered by Jesus. All right? So, but do you guys get that? We must all partake. It's not a matter of, hey, let's let Pastor Kenny partake, and then he's going to tell us, he's going to come and spit up what he said, and then we'll partake of his already been chewed food. Okay, that's gross, right? But how about if we all partake, and then we all have something to give to those that are around us. We all have energy. We all have something of the presence of God. So partaking is an action with resulting experiences. One is digestion. The bread becomes part of you. Partaking gives us energy to live this life. I think the kids were talking about that. Bread meets a need we have physically and spiritually. We partake together. There's fellowship in that, knowing we are in his presence together, knowing we have a common need. You know that Wayne needs Jesus the same amount I need, to I need Jesus. He needs the bread of life the same way I need the bread of life. It's not a matter of some of you are more holy because you can't make someone more holy than they, when Jesus has made them holy. There might be places where you are being revealed how to walk in a sanctified manner in a way that somebody around you isn't, but that doesn't mean that you get to go tell them how they could live their life more holy, because they're already holy. The question is, are they living that set-apart life? Is this making sense? Yes. So the set-apart life, if Mary Charles feels called to do something that the Lord's been telling her to do in her life, set her apart, that sanctified work is happening by the Holy Spirit. And if she says to uh, Pamela, Pamela, you need to do this. Well, that can become legalism if we start thinking that I've got to do what Mary Charles is doing. But if we start looking at it from the standpoint of maybe, maybe the Lord's revealed something to Mary Charles that I should be looking at and, and, and praying about and considering if that's something I need to apply to my life. Because that's part of the sanctification. That's part of the exchange. That's why the priests gather around the table is to realize we're in this together. We're not on our own. We need Jesus, but we also need each other. Huh. knowing that God is with us on this great big camping trip. You know, I, I especially hit this two weeks ago that, you guys, this world is not our home. Sure seems pretty important right now, though, doesn't it? This world is not our home. This is a big camping trip that God has us on. We're going to a better place. And Hebrews 11, I, I love this scripture it talks about all of these big people of faith, the people that we look to and say, man, they had such great faith. But it says, these all died in faith, 
not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Here's the bad news. Some, some of us are going to die on this camping trip. Matt just turned 30, so he thinks that's kind of funny. Because he admitted to me that he thought 30 was really old. And then he turned 30. And now it doesn't seem quite as old anymore. But here's the reality, you guys. Some of us are not going to see the fulfillment of all of God's promises on this side of heaven. But it's our faith that's going to get us there anyway. Amen? The promises are still for us, and, they, and we will enjoy those promises together one day. We're seeking a better homeland. It's funny because everything that's going on these days, all of the things, all of the division politically that's going on in the country, we've got people that are saying we need this kind of government. We've got people that are saying we need this kind of government. There's more division and more strife as they try and come up with the answer. And you guys, I've, I've, come, up, I've come to the conclusion, I've probably said this before, but there really are two people, two types of people uh, in our country and probably in the whole wide world. And that is people that think government is the answer and people that think God is the answer. And then in between, there's people that want, want it both ways. And, and they just want to go all over the place. And the thing is, is people, the more and more I, I look at this, the more I realize we need Jesus. We need God in this country. We need Jesus in us. And it's so easy for us to focus on them. And, and man, they're all messed up. But I'm telling you, church, we need Jesus that living, breathing presence of God that people want to have around them. Because we're seeking a better homeland. God is preparing that place for us. So here's, I didn't keep any bread up here, and that's good, because you've got to keep it fresh. You guys need to finish your bread back there. Come on, do your part. If you, if you can't do it, Maybe Dave will help you. I don't know. He tried already. He re re refused. So keep it fresh. No leftovers. What we place before God is not meant to be last year's seeking and presence before him. It's not meant to be, okay, well, we'll just eat last year's bread. How many of you are like eating last year's bread? I mean, even if it's been in the freezer, I don't like eating it. Freezer burned. It, you know, we have technology today. We can make it better. Keep it fresh, walking in the freshness of trusting him, living in the freshness of honoring him, giving in the freshness of submitting my all to him. The bread always has to be replaced. Think of it. God took slaves 
with 400 years of history and gave them a new assignment to always keep the bread fresh. There were people that that's all their job was, to keep the bread fresh. Time to make the donuts, right? <laughs> Fill that void of slavery to the enemy with serving the Lord. Did you guys catch that? Keep it fresh. Fill that void of slavery to the enemy with serving the Lord instead, the one who loves you and gave himself for you. The bread signified being in his presence. We are always in his presence. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And, and I don't know about you guys, but that's intimidating to me because when I do something dumb, when I do something where I go off on somebody, you know, Jackie was talking about somebody that cut her off on the way to church and how she wanted to respond, but she, she withheld. I was thinking, see, that's when we understand it's not really about Ethan and Emma being in the back seat. It's about Jesus being with us. Jesus, I really want to help that person. Right now, the lightning bolt, right? <laughs> Jesus, we are always in your presence. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. The bread signified being delivered from bondage. Just as the bread of presence also gives pause to consider the first Passover and deliverance from slavery, Jesus, the bread, is still delivering us from bondage to sin today. It signified being obedient. Making fresh bread every week took an act of obedience. You are allowing God's word to cause obedience, or are you living in rebellion? Obedience is that constant fresh loaf of bread, fresh and inviting. But the, the bread also signifies repentance because the removal of the old bread signified we are removing the old and we're replacing it with fresh. Not resting on our old works, but on a fresh response to God. And finally, it, it uh, represented fellowship. Just as the priest would gather around that table and partake to remove the old bread and replace it with fresh. See, you know what? I think that's one of the reasons why we gather together, church. We gather together because we need a fresh move. We need a fresh. I, I, I like how somebody said it. We need a fresh change of oil. Some of you have been running your cars on old oil for far too long. But the truth is we also have been running our lives on an old anointing and we need that fresh presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But that fellowship also means that we're benefiting from those who serve the Lord in a variety of all their responsibilities. The body fulfilling each part's function. Are you doing your part? Are you doing your part in his presence? Are you doing your part in allowing him to bring deliverance in your life? Are you doing your part to be obedient? Are you doing your part to repent? Are you doing your part to be in fellowship? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Old Testament 
that reveals something of eternity. And even though sometimes we stumble over it because we don't understand some of the different nuances that are there. We don't understand what an ephah of flower is. We don't understand the why behind some of that without taking time to study and, and consider these things. But Lord, as we take time to consider uh, who we are in your presence, we realize that, um, Lord, we need you more than ever. That on this big camping trip we call life, Lord, we don't want to do it without you. We don't want to do it without knowing and responding to you as our source of strength. The Lord, that bread has so many different meetings. The Lord, we can, we can understand that, Lord, first of all, we're before you always, and you're our source. But, Lord, at the same time, we, we need to partake of that bread. The same way that, Lord, if I want to listen to Dave Ramsey, I turn on the radio. The same way that if I want to uh, read what the news is, I, I go to the news channel and start reading on my phone, what the news is for the, for the day. Lord, the same thing needs to happen, that we make time to find out what you're saying to us, digesting that, processing through that. And I pray, Lord, that we would be obedient and repentant and that, Lord, finally, Lord, would you work in us a deeper level of fellowship, that, Lord, we are on the same page together. We're in the same place together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, we're going to demonstrate a little bit of that right now. Um, I don't know how many of you know Ron, but Ron Myers is here this morning, and he called me yesterday and wanted prayer. Actually, you texted me, didn't you? You texted me yesterday, didn't you? Yeah, and he, he wants prayer for healing. And so anybody think of a scripture where it says to call for healing? So, Ron, would you come on up? I told him we were going to pray for him whether he was here or not today, but... Uh... You guys extend your hand to Ron. If you want to come up and lay hands on him with me, I invite you to do that. The Lord, according to your word, where it says to call for the elders of the church, Lord, for those that need healing... Lord, we agree for healing in Ron's body right now. We speak to his back to be healed in Jesus' name. We speak to those vertebrae to come into alignment. Lord, according to your will that, God, you created Ron. And as his creator, we speak to his body in Jesus' name to come into alignment to the will of your creator. And that, Lord, you would be glorified in, in the gifts of healing that you reveal to Ron, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, we declare the healing power of Jesus Christ to be manifest. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We agree for this now, for your glory, for your name's sake. And, Lord, just thinking about the story that Ron shared with me, that, that Lord, his, his desire is for people to understand your glory because of how you work in his body. Well, Lord, I not only pray for that, but I also pray that their eyes would be open to see the glory that's all around them right now. Lord, your glory is everywhere. And I pray, Lord, that they would be able to see it, that they wouldn't be looking just for a healing in Ron's body. They'd be looking and seeing your presence, your power, your love, your kingdom is all around them. 
and that, Lord, they have the opportunity to enter into that by faith. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Amen.